Welcome to Boston Confidential, Beantown's true crime podcast. Boston is a great city, but there's more to it than the Freedom Trail and Fenway Park. There's a startling underbelly to the city, and Boston Confidential will take you on a guided tour of the hub of the universe, Boston, Massachusetts. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to Boston Confidential. My name's Barry McGuire, and I'm your host. I'm a 20-year private investigator on the streets of Boston, and I help run a company called Impact Due Diligence Investigations. If you need anything in terms of investigative services, feel free to contact me at Impact. If I can't help you personally, I'll certainly direct you to the right person or agency. All right, guys, let's get to it. Welcome back to Boston Confidential. Just some housekeeping stuff, as we always do at the beginning of each episode. We got a great response from our episode on Vanessa Marcotte. It's strange, this case. I know it got caught up in the COVID-19 frenzy, but there's DNA on this case, and he was arrested in 2017, guys. He should already be in big boy prison, but he's still awaiting trial. Thankfully, he's being held. And they say he's going to be tried sometime this year. And I'm hoping that's the case, quite frankly. This is a death penalty case. And I've gotten some correspondence on my view on the death penalty case. I guess I say a lot of things to the death penalty case. But please tell me how this is not capital punishment level, right? Because this guy stalks this young woman who's never done anything but the right thing in her life, at least as far as society goes. And honestly, up until this point, the guy arrested for her homicide, Angelo Colon Ortiz, had been within the law as well. But in my mind, what makes this case a death penalty eligible case, a capital crime, is the fact that this woman's about her own business, right? Just walking about, going for a run, having a drink at a corner store, and this guy's stalking her. Like, he's a lion on the Serengeti, and she's a lesser animal, right? No. And then he goes and harms her. He sexually assaults her, and then he murders her. She did nothing to him. Nothing to him. That's why this is a death penalty case. Something that happens quite frequently is two men get into an argument at a barroom or a stadium event, and they both decide to fight. One gets hit, falls down, hits his head, and dies. That's not a death penalty case, in my view, because they're both somewhat culpable. They both accepted the risk of personal combat, you know? Vanessa Marcotte didn't in this case. She was just living her life. And this guy comes up and takes it from her. And as a society, we have to say, no, no, you're not. Or we're going to fry your ass. That's the penalty. I'm sorry. It's that simple. People try to overcomplicate this. You're not going to take our daughters, our nieces, and our friends off the street, sexually assault them, and murder them in the woods. You're not going to do it. And if you do, you will sacrifice your own life. And it should be clear, and it should be consistent. Sorry. Whenever I talk about capital punishment, I always refer back to a quote that I came across when I was doing my undergrad by Justice Scalia. In this case, he was refuting Justice Blackmun's position on the death penalty always being unconstitutional. Scalia states in this case, Justice Blackmun begins his statement 
by describing with poignancy the death of a convicted murderer by lethal injection. He chooses as the case in which to make that statement one of the less brutal murders that regularly come before us, the murder of a man ripped by a bullet suddenly and unexpectedly, with no opportunity to prepare himself and his affairs and left to bleed to death on the floor of a tavern. The death by lethal injection, which Justice Blackman describes, looks pretty desirable next to that. It looks even better next to some of the other cases currently before us, which Justice Blackman did not select as the vehicle for his example. The case of the 11-year-old girl raped by four men and then killed by stuffing her panties down her throat. How enviable a quiet death by lethal injection compared with that. And that was the case of Callens versus Collins in 1994. And I think Scalia epitomizes within this writing how the death penalty should go. There's evil out there. Those four men who killed that 11-year-old girl, man, I mean, they deserve what they get. You know, they know what they've done. And people call the death penalty brutal and like a reflex of action. It isn't. It's justice. Are you going to tell me Tamerlan Zanayev, after placing that bomb, he personally did that. That was his bomb. He's on videotape doing it, right? We know what you did. We've got DNA. We've got it all. There's no mystery here. That guy should already be in the death chamber. That's the deterrent here. People say that capital punishment isn't a deterrent. Well, it certainly isn't the way we use it now because you never know if you're going to get it. And if you're going to get it, it's 10 or 12 years down the line, right? This guy's been convicted. Why isn't he have a date with the death chamber? You know, appeal after appeal. You're on videotape killing people. What's the appeal for? Because you didn't get a snack when you were eight? Come on. All right, guys. Well, that was a hell of a rant, but let's get on to our case today. Today's case comes out of Cambridge, Massachusetts, and we definitely don't have to jump back into the Wayback Machine, but it has been a decade now. So let me tell you about it. This is the case of Charlene Holmes out of Cambridge, Massachusetts. And this occurred this month, June of 2012. It actually occurred on June 3rd, 2012. And it's a heartbreaking case. I don't like the term in the wrong place at the wrong time. No, Charlene Holmes was in the right place at the right time living her life. The guy in the wrong place at the wrong time was this homicidal maniac. But let me tell you the story first. Let me tell you a little bit about Cambridge, Massachusetts. Most people know Cambridge, Massachusetts, at least in the greater New England region. In the metropolitan Boston area, we call Cambridge the People's Republic of Cambridge because it is so liberal. It is quasi-communist, socialist, something like that. But that is the reputation politically of Cambridge. It is also the home of Harvard University, MIT, and I don't know, a host of other colleges. It's beautiful, but it is a big city. You know, it neighbors Boston, and it's actually a quite safe city, and it always has been. In 2012, it had only one homicide, and I'm afraid I'm going to tell you about that today. But 
I don't want to say it's crime free. It was murder free in 2012. And that was in the sixth month of the year. So zero murders. And they frequently go years without murders. And the police department's pretty good. But again, it is an urban environment. And there are beautiful leafy neighborhoods where you would think you were in the suburbs. But there's also a little more high crime areas where police get more calls. But generally, it's a great place to live. It's ethnically diverse. The populations mix pretty well. You don't have a lot of racial problems, stuff like that. And to the best of my knowledge, guys, there's really no gang problems in Cambridge. I know Boston is right there. It's right over the bridge. And Boston does have some established youth gangs, mostly in Dorchester and Roxbury and probably Mattapan as well. I don't know if there's an organized gang. I've never heard of one. I've only heard of the Boston gangs, and I'm sure there's some type of offshoots and all that. But Charlene Holmes lived on Willow Street in Cambridge, and that was in the Wellington-Harrington neighborhood. It's right off of Cambridge Street, which is the main drag there. And it's a nice street. There's a lot of triple deckers. So there's a lot of apartments and condos and it's adjacent to a ball field. And some of the photographs I'm going to post in the show notes, you'll see that, that there's a ball field right across the street and that'll come into play later. But it's a beautiful street. It's a great neighborhood. That Wellington section is, you know, I don't want to say crime free, but serious crime free, right? You're always going to have things related to alcohol. You'll always have domestic violence in such a cloistered area, right? But murder is unheard of, really. You know, and even in Boston, we have a low number of homicides. It's usually about 50 or 60 a year. In the 90s, it was through the roof. And they often compare the metropolitan Boston area to New Orleans because it's similar in size. And their homicide rate is off the chart compared to ours. But again, I don't want to say Cambridge is crime-free, but maybe serious crime-free, rape, robbery, murder, those types of things. Kind of unheard of there. So let me tell you a little bit about Charlene Holmes, the best I could have gotten it. Charlene was 16 years old in 2012, and she went to Cambridge Ringe in Latin. And that's a pretty famous public school in Cambridge. It has a good reputation. I don't know much about it. Charlene was a sophomore at the high school and had went through Cambridge public schools the whole way through. And she was a sophomore. She was getting good grades. It was June. So school was almost over, you know, another 20, 30 days or so. Her school year would have ended. I've read that she had volunteered some hours at a Salvation Army. She went to a local church with her family in the area and by all accounts was a straight arrow, didn't abuse drugs, didn't drink alcohol. Like when I say straight arrow, I think we all know people in our lives like that. They just point true north. And this was Charlene Holmes's reputation. Very bubbly, very bright and the following year, she would have been looking at colleges. She would have been taking the SATs as a junior, I think, and, you know, picking out where she would have went to school. And she was a good student there and had an excellent reputation. So letters of recommendation wouldn't have been 
a problem for this kid. So Charlene grew up with her large family in Cambridge, and I believe they were longtime residents of Willow Street. I believe they lived at number 48, 48 Willow Street. And there's some triple-deckers, single-family homes, kind of a mix, close together, again, across from that ball field. And the ball field, I think, is then adjacent to a public school or a recreation center. But if you look in these pictures, like I said before, you'll see I think there was actually a ball game going on the night of this tragedy, but that'll come into play later. So there was Charlene. She was 16. Her dad was Ronald, Ronald Holmes. And mom, I believe, was also named Charlene. She was also a Charlene Holmes. She had a sister, Kenyatta, a sister, Shantae. There was Jermaine, Ronald Holmes Sr., and did I mention Nikita and Kiana Maxwell? Those were other sisters as well. So definitely a full house. So I don't know what Charlene had planned for the coming summer of her sophomore year. Would she get a job and work, you know, part-time in the summer or whatever? But things were good. She was always in a good mood. That's one thing I've picked out from every interview. She was always upbeat. And she liked to dress nicely, and she was famous for this red lipstick. They say you could see it from a block away. She was a pretty girl, and she had this air about her, and you can kind of see it in the photographs. She had no connection to the gang life, and, you know, that'll be the first thing you think when I tell you what happened here. She had no connection to that, and you see photographs of her. You can tell this kid's not on drugs. Her skin's clear. And it's bright. Her eyes are bright, full of life. She had no BS in her. And, you know, she was living the 16-year-old life in Cambridge, Massachusetts. Man. So it's about 8 o'clock on June 3rd, 2012. And Charlene and her sister, Shantae, were walking. I believe they were walking up their own street, Willow Street. And they stopped. Because Charlene sees a friend of hers at 3436 Willow Street. And I'll tell you a little bit more about this address as we go. But there's a group of kids on the stairs. And I believe this is a duplex, but they're sitting on the stairs. And Charlene sees one of her friends and classmates braiding a young man's hair. So Charlene stops to talk to the woman braiding the hair, also 16, I believe, a sophomore at Cambridge Ringe in Latin with Charlene. And her name was Thanalee, T-H-A-N-I-A-L-E-E. I think I'm pronouncing that correct. Thanalee Codo Felix. And these guys were friends, so they stop and they talk. And Shantae is with her. I don't know where the Holmes girls were coming from, but it was said they were going home. So naturally, they live at 48, and they're ready to pass 3436. Charlene stops to say hi. I believe the weather was good. It is kind of like the weather we're having now. The sun doesn't set to, I don't know, quarter to nine, 8.30, quarter to nine. So it was kind of like dusk, I believe. So it was about eight o'clock, just after eight. and. The Holmes girls are standing there talking, and Cotto Felix, Charlene's friend, is braiding a young man's hair. 
And what the Holmes girls didn't know is they'd stumbled upon what was going to be, or at least has all outwards appearances of a gang head. What is described as a dark Nissan four-door was captured on videotape, and nobody would know this till later, but it had circled the block, was captured on security footage as it circled the block more than once, okay? And with the ball field right there, I think you had people in that neighborhood, like people would come to go to the ballpark and park within the neighborhood. And so there would always be people circling the block. It's probably not something you'd take notice of because there's probably always games going on inside the park and all this. So this black Nissan four-door with tinted windows is now coming by for the second time. On the first time, Charlene wasn't present, but about five minutes later, the vehicle comes back and Charlene's talking to her friend, Thanalee, and shots ring out from that car, at least five shots. And the first couple shots, I believe, hit Charlene Holmes, and the second shots, I believe it was one or two, hit Thanalee Cotto Felix and just laid these girls out. Nobody knew what was happening. There's no drive-bys in Cambridge. Nobody really knew what was going on. But that car takes off, and Charlene Holmes is laid out on her back. She's still breathing, but she's having a hard time breathing, and she's bleeding very badly. And so is her friend. I believe Charlene was hit in the chest, and I believe Cotto Felix was either hit in the chest or shoulder. But she was listed in critical condition when she got to the hospital as well. But it is believed that Charlene passed away right on scene. And it was mayhem at this place because there was a lot of kids around. And all these kids were sitting on the front stoop, basically. And this asshat just starts blasting from a car. Man, it's just horrible. You know, it kind of reminds me of the Tiffany Moore murder in Boston in 1988. If you remember, Darlene Tiffany Moore was 12 years old and she was playing on a mailbox with a group of other kids. You know, they're playing jump rope, sidewalk chalk, whatever. And Tiffany Moore was up on a mailbox when two people started shooting at other rival drug dealers. And Tiffany was shot off the mailbox in the head. And it was something that reverberated through Boston for, I don't know, a generation now anyway. But it kind of reminds me of that, just stupidity, right? They believe that somebody else was the target. The police know who the target was, or at least they think they do. Charlene Holmes was an innocent bystander, as was her friend, Thana Lee Cotto Felix. So Cotto Felix was a few years older than Charlene Holmes, and she's gunned down in her own neighborhood as well. Charlene was, I don't know, half a block. She lived at 48. This happened at 34, 36 Willow. And man, like she just stopped to talk to somebody, right? This girl is braiding someone's hair, and that's who they believe this target was, the person who was getting their hair braided by Thanalee, and I think I'm pronouncing that correctly. If I'm butchering that name, which I do frequently, feel free to email me, barry at bostonconfidential.net. Thanalee, T-H-A-N, 
I-A-L-E-E, Thinnily, Cotto Felix. So she gets transported to the hospital in Cambridge or across the bridge. I can't remember if it was Mass General, but either way, the hospital is right there. And she was listed in critical condition for days. And I'm afraid Charlene Holmes was, I believe, pronounced dead either at the scene or at the hospital. But she was gone, everybody said, by the time that the ambulance got there. And the response time was lightning quick. Nothing against EMS here, but she was just gone, you know, and nobody could believe it. This car just drives away. And this was 2012. I'm going to put some photographs of the vehicle. It'll be in a few news accounts I'll put in the show notes. But it's a decent enough picture. But I think if it was taken with the technology we have today, you'd be able to see the license plate number unless they remove the license plate. I'm just not sure. But as it happens, the car, this black Nissan four-door slowly creeps by and there's a gap of cars between the street and the sidewalk and the rear window is rolled down. And that's where the shots come from. I believe it was five shots or more and they take off. So from there, you're on to Cambridge Street, or you could go the other way and be, you know, a little more secluded, a little more suburban. You wouldn't be directly on the main drag, I guess. So I have a few problems with this investigation, and I'm just going to lay them out there. The police seem to know a little bit more. You know, we got 10 years. This is 10 years this June, right? This case is cold, and the police know the name of the individual getting his hair braided. He was a teenager at the time, and he was getting his hair braided by Charlene Holmes' friend. And she got shot in his stead, and that was the target. Police knew that. And they had inferred that he had had some gang involvement, was involved in that side of the life, but they haven't named him. It's 10 years in. Why haven't you named this guy? If he's not a suspect, he's probably a victim. You could name this guy. And then maybe somewhere else, somewhere down the road, someone says, hey, why did those people shoot at you? And he tells them, you know, it's Joe Smith because I shot at him two weeks ago. Whatever it may be. The cops never name him. And everybody on the steps, supposedly all friends of Charlene Holmes, say nothing, right? or they know nothing. The person who was getting his hair braided, he was being shot at. Let me tell you something. He knows exactly who shot at him, and he knows why they shot at him. And I'm just hoping at a certain point, this guy is in line for a big prison sentence, and he wants to get his way out of it. Maybe he tells the prosecutor, okay, okay, I'll tell you who shot at me when Charlene Holmes was killed. But nobody on those stairs has said much, especially that guy getting his hair braided. I've looked for this guy's name, and the only people I can come up with as being on their stairs there was that then Ali Cotto Felix, Charlene Holmes, Shantae was on the sidewalk. They were getting ready to go. This was going to be a brief conversation. And Charlene just stopped to say hi to her friend, and then they were moving on. You know, it's 8 o'clock, they're looking ahead home. But man, they just start blasting out of nowhere and they went nowhere near their intended target. 
So there was at least two people from what I can gather in this thing. Someone's driving this dark sedan. At first, they didn't really give a make and model, but I believe later they said it was a Nissan, a black Nissan. And it looks like a Sentra model to me. Take a look at the pictures and let me know what you think. But it looks like a black Sentra. All the windows were tinted. So there's a driver, obviously, and at least one person in the back. And the window was down. So it seems like that passenger who shot out the window was back from the door a bit. So this was planned. And they had circled the block five minutes previously when Charlene wasn't there. And they say, okay, that's the kid we're looking for. And they drive by again. Boom, there he is. And they have tunnel vision and they just stop blasting and they hit Thanalee and Charlene. Thanalee was graduating. She was a senior. And four days after she was shot, they had a video link installed in the hospital where she put her cap and gown on and graduated from Cambridge Ridge in Latin in her hospital bed. Can you imagine that? I'm sure she was grateful to be alive, but I wonder if she had any more information, you know, and I understand being afraid. You want to know why? Because they just tried to kill you. And if you go against them again, you could probably expect that again. But I don't know how deep the gang ties are in Cambridge, but I understand. I do understand being afraid. I just wonder with the passage of time, even the guy who was getting his hair braided, did he go on to a life of crime? Because he'll never tell now, right? Because they got this goofy code of stop snitching and all that. This kid's, you know, in the graveyard. And the other girl, she could have become a quadriplegic. She could have been killed as well. Like all five bullets could have killed people there. And I believe the only thing providing any evidence is that security camera. And the police showed it on the news for weeks. It's just not much. I think if it was taken today, even by a ring camera or whatever, I think it's positioned where you would have seen the license plate unless they removed it. And the police, again, in this case, it's a cold case now. They seem to be following that protocol where they release very little information. I don't understand why that guy, he was only a witness. He's not a subject. He's not a person of interest in this case. Why can't you release the names of the people that were there, right? Maybe somebody knows him and, you know, or maybe somebody would know what his beef is with somebody else. It's been 10 years. People have come out of gangs, have went to prison, gotten out, Release that guy's name. You know, maybe people know him, you know. If it was Boston, maybe, you know, he's with Castlegate, right? And the other guys went into Street. And the guy at Interville has a change of heart and wants to come clean. But nobody knows this guy's name. So how would they ever say anything, right? Has it worked to date? I don't think it has. It's a decade. Don't wait another decade. Release this guy's name. I guarantee you, some people are going to know him. Some people in the criminal world who aren't down with killing 16-year-old girls. They may drop a dime on them. It can go a thousand different ways. Withholding information, to me, seems to be a mistake in these cold cases. But here we are yet again. When I was researching this case, I said to myself, she has a lot in common with Vanessa Marcotta last week's episode where 
These kids were living the right life. What more can you ask of a citizen? Again, I'm going to come back and I'm going to tell you, this is a death penalty case. You drive by somebody shooting out the window from feet away, not caring who you hit, who you hurt, who you paralyze. Nah, you go to the gas chamber for that and you got to know it. That could deter some people, but like deterrence is a hard thing to gauge, right? Because how do you gauge something that's literally been deterred? It's difficult, right? So I think the next steps in this case is releasing that guy's name. He's just a witness. Dana Lee Cotto Felix was braiding his hair. You can release his name. Why can't you? And why wouldn't you? Why wouldn't you make a full repository in the media of all this information? That way, if somebody in the public wants to help you, they can look at it and review it themselves, you know? It's just odd. There's not one full account of this case around. I think Fox 25 did an excellent job on this, and I'll put that in the show notes as well. But man, it's just a heartbreaking case. And to me, this is a capital punishment offense. You take this beautiful girl who's working towards going to college and her friend, you shot her for nothing too. You couldn't wait for this mope who's getting his hair braided to step away somewhere private. All right, so I know I said Cambridge is like major crime free mostly, but they do have their pain in the ass cases as all police departments do. And this address at 3436 Willow was kind of a pain in the ass for the police. They had been called there 29 times since 2005. The typical problems were loud music, people out front. There was a report of an unarmed robbery, a fist fight. But it's the same petty nonsense over and over. The police have to respond. And at a certain point, they log how many times they respond because they may find the homeowner for keeping a disorderly house of some kind, you know? And that's a lot of times for the police to come to your house, right? Because you know how many times the police have been to my house? Zero. So was there more going on? Was this some type of hangout for whatever clique or gang that may have been hanging around Willow Street? Perhaps. It seems to be the loud music and stuff like that. The only other people going to call on you are on your left side and your right side because across the street's the park. And I don't know, that's a lot of times for the police to come to your house. And would it seem to be like a hub, a headquarters? It would seem to be that way. So what meaning does it have for this specific case? I'm not entirely sure. Again, the police are super tight-lipped. Could you say people are selling weed out of there? People are selling other things out of there because it seems to be some heavy traffic there. There was a group of kids there the night Charlene Holmes was killed on June 3rd, 2012. And if it's an ongoing problem, and what are some of the things people get shot in a drive-by over is territory for drug deals, right? Is that a possibility here? It's definitely a possibility for the guy who was getting his hair braided. Charlene Holmes was a totally innocent bystander, and so was her friend, Cotto Felix. You know, it's just a gang that couldn't shoot straight, drives by and thinks they want to be Whitey Bulger or Stevie Flemmy, right? 
So that's about all I have for you on this one, guys. Again, the police don't release much information, and maybe they don't have a lot of information, but they know who was getting their hair braided there, right? They know what was going on at 3436 Willow. Let's refresh people's memory. Let's put some more information out there, and you might push somebody to make a phone call. If you have any information on this case, please call the Cambridge Police at 617-349-3370. And there's also a tip line, an anonymous tip line, and you can access that directly at the Cambridge Police website. Just Google Cambridge, Massachusetts Police, and you can leave an anonymous tip. You can leave an anonymous call. They just want the help on this. And if you have it, give it. Have a heart here, right? This kid was going places and somebody took her life. It's just not fair. So give a call. Cambridge Police, I think this goes directly to the detectives, 617-349-3370. I wish I had more for you guys. The cops keep this one close to the vest. I don't think that is working. So I would release some more information. We've just passed that anniversary. It would have been a good time. The 10-year anniversary of this case was June 3rd, right? Where are we, 17, 18 right now? I would have loved to have seen a big spread in the Boston Herald or the Boston Globe or, you know, on the internet about Charlene Holmes' 10th year anniversary. They did put some stuff out, but nothing new. Man, just put out that guy's name was getting his hair braided because maybe somebody knows him, right? Maybe they know what his beef was and they've went straight. It could be anything. Anything could break this case. All right, guys, I'm going to leave you there. I'll get on to the next one for you. If you need me, my email is barry at bostonconfidential.net. Otherwise, I'll see you on the flip side, all right? 